Phoenix Rising podcast. I am your host. Thank you for joining me today. I do want to say something real quick before we get started. If you've been paying attention to the news, if you've been hearing uh, anything that's going on uh, recently in our country, you know that George Floyd was murdered in broad daylight very brutally. It was a tragedy and it's heartbreaking to me. I know that this is a narcissistic abuse podcast, but at the same time, as survivors and warriors, I think that we can all relate to the fact that murder is the most heinous form of abuse and that it is an abuse of a community and somebody was a victim and somebody was victimized publicly and was humiliated and degraded and I think as survivors of abuse we need to stand up for the abuse of other people of other communities so just real quick I want to say if you could call this number it's one six one two three two four 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 nine nine It's a line put together by Sean King, and he will instruct you on what to do. You just have to follow his instructions, and it'll go through all the uh, important offices, all the important figureheads that you need to talk to in order to bring justice to this this man, this father. And, uh, yeah, so if you could go out there and make the phone calls or, you know, leave messages sign the petitions, donate to uh, George Floyd's. I know he has a GoFundMe, and then there's the ACLU. So please help in any way that you can. You know, this is a, a tough time in our country, and I'm not trying to get political here or whatever. You, you know, you can unfollow me if you don't agree with this or you don't like it, but, you know, I'm standing by what I believe in, and I see a community that has faced abuse for centuries, and we, as survivors and as human beings, we need to say something. We need to speak to the voiceless. All right, so moving on to the topic of this episode, we are going to talk about blame shifting. I found two articles, one from Psychology Today, and another from Psychopath Free. So I go over a little bit about what is talked about in the articles, and then I'll discuss some of my personal experiences of blame shifting. It is uh, unfortunately a very common tactic that my ex uses, and it's very psychologically, uh, I don't even know how debilitating, damaging, it's It's hard to be blamed all the time by someone, especially if you love this person or, you know, and or you trust them. If you respect this person, if you ever looked up to them, I mean, any of these things, if somebody is blaming you all the time, it's so hard not to believe these things and to fight the the wickedness of their words. But we have to remember that this person is projecting and 
anything they blame you for, they're usually guilty of it, or they just, they can't handle whatever you're bringing to them, so they're going to create a diversion. You know, narcs are so good at diversions. Anything to distract you from them. So, there's a Psychology Today article. I will also post, um, you know, the George Floyd number and information, and then the two articles I'm going to share. I'll share those links with you as well if you want more information. So, I found this Psychology Today article by Eleanor Greenberg, PhD. So, she says that people who have narcissistic personality disorder, and I also think people who are just on the narcissism spectrum because my ex has not had a diagnosis but I think he's probably in like the middle to mid-high range on the spectrum but they cannot tolerate the idea that they might be to blame so they accuse someone else instead and she starts going into you know how humans we develop a internal voice that was programmed during our childhood And she says it's based on a few things. One is how our parents treated us. Two is our inborn temperament. And three, our interpretation of what our parents thought was worthy of praise or criticism. So this voice, you know, could be, so she goes a little deeper into that too. Sigmund Freud called it the superego. I refer to it as the conscience. I know a lot of people refer to it as that as well so this is the the voice that tells you you know this is right this is wrong and you know you feel you feel guilt if you've done something wrong or you feel you know pride or happiness when you've done something right so the narcissist's inner voice unlike ours is what she says overly harsh perfectionistic and devaluing and their inner, their internal voice does not dole out praise, and nothing is good enough to win their own approval of themselves. And because their their conscience or super ego, however you want to refer to it, is so critical, they will avoid responsibility for anything because. It's a way to avoid self-hatred, shame, and they will do anything to avoid those negative feelings, so they will put the blame on someone else. They put the blame on someone else, then they don't have to deal with their own uh, their own pain and their with their own self-loathing. So then she says, Naturally, with deep shame always lurking around the edges of their psyche and an inner critical voice that unfairly and severely punishes them, narcissists learn early in life to never take the blame for their mistakes. Instead, when anything is amiss, they quickly blame someone else. If you are their lover or mate, you are the one that is likely to be blamed, no matter how far-fetched this seems. So sadly, you know, and I agree with what she says, this situation, it it can't be solved by logic. You can't argue it away. It's just something that they do, and it's who they are. Um, And like she says, it has nothing to do with reality or fairness. It's all them. Uh, She calls it self, their self-esteem maintenance. And she, I like the little formula she comes up with. So it's blame plus shame equals self-hatred. 
She says your mate shifts the blame onto you to avoid being condemned as worthless garbage by his or her own harshly, overly harsh and devaluing inner voice. Now, she goes on to say how to respond to the situation, which I'm not going to go into full discussion about that because I personally didn't agree with it. She talks about how it can make the narcissist more comfortable and that, like, you know, you should talk to them in this gentle way and things like that. I think if you're a therapist, that makes more sense. But as someone who's being abused, um, that's not something I'm going to tell you to do. I'll leave that to you if you want to read the article in full, if that's something you're interested in. But personally, for me, I, I don't agree with making your abuser comfortable at all. That's just not something that sits right with me. But if that's something you want to look into or you want to try, that is totally your prerogative. And I'm, I'm not going to judge you for it. But it's just personally not something I want to go into because it, just, it, it didn't rub me the right way. So... Uh, so moving on to, I loved this article, Five Types of Narcissistic Blame uh, Shifting by Psychopath Free, and I'm pretty sure Jackson McKenzie wrote this because he's the author of Psychopath Free and also the book I'm reading uh, whole again. So he says, blame shifting is when a person does something wrong or inappropriate and then dumps the blame on someone else to avoid taking responsibility for their own behavior. What are some of the most common blame shifting techniques? Okay, number one, playing the victim. He says, this is one of the most common ones. You might ask your partner to stop criticizing or ridiculing you. Since that situation paints you as a victim, they are quick to turn the tables because they always need to be the biggest victim. So instead of addressing your legitimate concerns, they bring up or make up something completely unrelated from the past where they claim you hurt them. Before you know it, you're the one apologizing for them. Okay, so I've had this one a lot, and I'm sure the rest of you can relate. Whenever I would express my needs for love, for affection, for compliments, romance, anything that, you know, to make me feel good in our relationship, he'd always come back to you know, he's stressed over finances, he's stressed at work, and if I could just get a job, then maybe he could focus on our relationship more. He, he would always say, you're focused on the relationship, but I'm more focused on practical things, as if our relationship <laughs> was not practical or important. And then that would make me feel bad and confused. You know, like, Am I asking for too much? Am I high maintenance? You know? And really, to me, I was I was just so confused because I would think, how is our relationship not practical? Like, if you're not putting the work into the relationship, what's the point of all this? What are we fighting for? What are we working toward? If you're not putting anything into the relationship, it's just going to shrivel up and die and... I didn't understand, but then at the same time, I was thinking, oh, he's so stressed, and how do I help him? I, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and we can't afford childcare. Like, what am I supposed to do? How do I help this person, you know? And that was his way of not acknowledging my needs and shifting it so that it was, well, if you do something, then maybe I can love you more. 
you know. And then, you know, other times I'd come to him with an issue, he would always say, you know, oh, people just react in different ways, and I can't, I ne- I can't respond to you the same way you would respond. Like, I can't be like you, which is such an odd thing to say <laughs> instead of just acknowledging my feelings and discussing the issue instead let's talk about our reactions that's very odd and then his his other common comments were oh I guess I can never make a mistake or I guess I'm just a piece of shit then always playing the victim playing the victim card and even at the the end of our relationship after he left me I, you know, I'd be crying and I'd be telling him, you know, how much I was ignored and how horrible I was treated. And he'd, he'd project onto me, you're always playing the victim. You're always playing the victim card. Like, you've never done a bad thing in your life, you know? And that's not at all what I was saying. It wasn't at all what I was doing, but it was a way to shift the blame and make me the villain and him the victim. It's a horrible feeling, and it's very confusing and just mind-boggling, you know? Your brain feels so scattered after having any type of conflict with a narcissist. It is so confusing. The next tactic is minimizing your feelings. He says, if they hurt your feelings, you might calmly express to them and ask them to stop. They will then laugh at, dismiss, or ridicule your feelings. They'll say, you're too sensitive, you're crazy, you're hysterical, you have no sense of humor, calm down. The blame is no longer on them for misbehaving, but instead on you for reacting to their misbehavior. It's messed up, right? (laughs) Ironically, if you ever criticize a narcissist the way they regularly criticize you, they flip out. So it's pretty bizarre when they blame you for having thin skin fantastic point narcissist to have the thinnest skin so for my personal experience when I would bring things up to him you know in a calm civil manner his most infamous line was you're making a mountain out of a molehill and that used to drive me insane (laughs) because he's minimizing my feelings he was invalidating me and he made me feel so sensitive and you know I fed into this cycle you know not intentionally but I would even tell him oh my gosh you know I'm just too sensitive and he never disagreed with me and it became just this vicious cycle and I was essentially feeding the beast like I believed I was too sensitive and too emotional because of his reactions and his treatment toward me so he's always telling me you're making a mountain out of a molehill and again it's back to uh, I'm dramatic I'm high maintenance I have way too high of expectations and I'm just too sensitive I'm too sensitive for this person maybe I need to be with someone else maybe he needs someone better which is completely ridiculous I'm glad I see that now but you know it took many many years to get to this point sadly Um, But, you know, better late than never, I say. Also, after we split, uh, we were living together for about a month, which was horrendous. (laughs) I do not recommend that. It wasn't intentional. You know, we were trying to figure out our living situation. Um, It's not easy. But if you 
if this is a uh, intimate partner, if you can get out of a living situation, if you're able to, I would suggest it as soon as possible because being with someone in the same vicinity after a discard was one of the worst times of my life. I, uh, I can't even, it's hard for me to even live, like relive those moments in my head because it was so awful and I was at the lowest point I've ever been in my life so far and God, I hope I never get close to that again. It was horrible. But uh, so during that time, you know, we were walking our dogs and our son, which we should not have been going on walks together. But we were trying to, you know, keep a routine going so our son wouldn't get confused. But I was crying one night and telling him, you know, I was tired of the blaming and I was just like I was begging for his love and for him to stay and to not you know be with this other person and telling him that everything I'd ever done was for him and for our son like my whole life my whole world revolved around these two people and his response he laughed and he said well that's a bit dramatic don't you think (laughs) I can't even tell you how much that upset me that was horrible to me to question my love for my partner and for my child and to say that I'm being dramatic when I'm in love with this person and begging them to stay and I'm hurting and I I, I, that whole time after the split that we were in the same apartment and even like a month after he had moved out I was constantly trying to prove my worth and why I was a good partner, why I was a good mother. And it just makes me sick. I I feel so, it wasn't even that long ago. Just months, not even a year. But I just like, I want to hug that, that girl. I feel so horrible for anyone in the world that has to, that feels the need that they have to prove themselves to someone else. Nobody should have to prove their worth or their love their lovability like people should just see that already and it's devastating you know it's it's sick that narcissists make us feel that way like there's you shouldn't have to explain why you are a valuable human being but yeah then there were other times where you know he'd tell me he was just kidding and he just couldn't understand why I was so upset Lots of minimizing. It's a very smart tactic that they use, (laughs) unfortunately. I hate to admit it, but it's true. Uh, Arguing about the argument is number three. So he says, every argument becomes a meta discussion about the argument itself rather than the point you're actually trying to make. They pull you into pointless fights, mincing words, and debating semantics in order to put you on the defense. Instead of discussing your legitimate concerns, they comment on your tone and accuse you of doing things they're doing, playing the victim, gaslighting, projecting. The blame is no longer on them, but instead the way you approach the argument. So a few examples I have was, you know, if I was upset about the way he treated me, something he said, his response was always, 
you know, why did I have to ruin the next few days, you know, because we just had such a good weekend. Like, everything was fine, and now you're going to be upset the next few days. <laughs> like, why did you have to do that? <laughs> like, he's upset about the fact that I was bringing something up. Like, I'm ruining the week after a few good days. I mean, <sighs> just ridiculous, right? <laughs> Sometimes like, when I say these things out loud, like, I just can't believe that they're real, that people are capable of this kind of behavior. But he'd also tell me, you know, stop getting so defensive or upset. And that that made me want to pull my hair out because I was doing the exact opposite. Like, I remember I'd be get I'd be in the kitchen and we'd be having a discussion about something, you know, important. And then he would he would be getting defensive and start telling me, you know, don't get so defensive. Why are you so upset? Oh, my gosh. And that, that would make me insane because I was thinking – I feel like I was taking crazy pills. Like, are, what are you talking about? I'm calm. Like, you're the one freaking out right now. Don't tell me that I'm freaking out. Don't try and change reality, you know? Uh, number four, guilt tripping and pity stories. If you're prone to feeling sympathetic for others, which chances are they'll go for this one a lot because <laughs> that's who we are. If you point out something hurtful they've done, they will start talking about their abusive childhood or an evil ex. Before you know it, you're comforting them even though they hurt your feelings. After all, how can you be mad at someone when they open up to you about something so traumatic? And then he writes, Psst, that's the point. <laughs> Everyone goes through trials and tribulations, but healthy individuals don't use those experiences as, ex as excuses to harm others. And they certainly don't bring up those pity stories to conveniently avoid taking responsibility for their behavior. So with the guilt tripping and pity stories, you know, this was one of the early red flags that I didn't realize, but when we were first together, he used to tell me all the time how his ex was a bitch and how she was, you know, psycho, she was crazy, she treated him poorly, and I felt like, you know, which is typical for a lot of us, we're either... I think wanting to be rescued or we want to rescue others. I wanted to rescue him because he had this horrible relationship and then he had a very traumatizing, abusive relationship with his narcissistic mother. So that was another thing that came up a lot in our relationship and I wanted to be like the healthy woman in his life that would show him real love and I mean I know it's it sounds so bad saying it out loud because it's not healthy, but it's true, you know, and I'm not ashamed of that. You know, I think we are just very empathetic, loving, caring people, but it is something I need to work on internally um, just to make sure I don't, you know, get my boundaries crossed again and that I, I stay in my own lane, <laughs> you know, not to be um, a psychologist to my partner, but um it was something I fed into, again, unintentionally, but, you know, he'd react to things very negatively, like, you know, completely odd. Like, there were a few instances where I would tell him, you know, oh, I missed you, like, when he was at work, you know, and I wouldn't say it in any, any sort of way. It was just like, oh, I missed you so much today, you know, and he would get upset and feel attacked. He'd get defensive, and then he would say he felt like I was guilt-tripping him. And I was trying to make him feel bad that he had to work and provide, which was 
just bananas to me. And but at the same time, I would feel guilty. And then I'd say, oh, you you know, you have to stop projecting your mother onto me. I'm not like her. You know, because I know I'd seen it so many times that she's done it to me. But she does. the She plays the guilt tripping card all the time. But then that's the problem was the conversation. He would become the victim and he'd agree with what I was saying. Then we'd have a discussion about his childhood and why he's projecting things onto me. And I, I mean, it, it, on one side, it's like it was kind of reflective, but on the other side, it was a distraction and we get sidetracked. So then we're not even talking about the fact that he was reacting terribly to me for me saying something nice. It was just a perfect example of a codependent unhealthy relationship where I'm playing my ex's therapist and I'm trying to solve his issues and I'm trying to help him and comfort him when really I was coming to him with something. He attacks me for it and then we're back to, oh, well, this is probably why you're acting this way. Poor thing. It was your mom. And it's like, yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> it's just, it was such a bad cycle. But, yeah, definitely need to worry and watch out for the guilt tripping and the, the pity stories. So, lastly, number five. Uh, this is a fun one. I love that he calls it the stink bomb. So he says, this is the last resort, usually when they've been blatantly caught or called out for something they know they did wrong. Remember, shame is an unacceptable sensation for people with cluster B disorders. And so they throw a completely unfounded, terrible accusation at you. You thought you had a slam dunk case, proof, evidence, everything. And then they come back with this. So then he has examples here. Well, you abused me. You hit me. You raped me. You cheated on me. You never loved me. You're mentally ill. You're stalking me. Suddenly, your slam dunk case isn't such a slam dunk anymore. Now you're defending yourself against wild accusations that you never could have even dreamed of. Who could prepare for that? And once again, that's the whole point. The blame is now off of them, and now you're the one in hot water. Oh, stink bombs. Okay, <laughs> so I've definitely had... Um, lot of stink bombs okay so i've had a lot of these stink bombs especially after he left um my two favorites would be <laughs> that my, you know my son came to me the day after valentine's day this year and told me he talked to my ex's girlfriend you know his mistress on the phone and wished her happy valentine's day uh so i called my ex you know, this is before I knew to just stick to text that, you know, talking on the phone with them is dangerous because there's no record of the things that they're saying and they can just go to town on you. But I, I calmly asked him, you know, was this true? Because, you know, you can't obviously when a small child comes to you with information, you can't always trust what they're saying. But just because of my ex's track record, I was inclined to believe it was true but I very calmly asked him about it and told him you know I thought this wasn't in our son's best interest and that we had agreed to wait a year to introduce him to people in our lives and then he's just I mean he starts going off on me like no just no you can't control things you can't control things anymore you know the way you've been acting lately this deal doesn't matter anymore the deal's off the table and the way I was acting 
like some backstory. This was all the way back to episode one, but when I told you guys that he had taken my son, he lied to me. He lied to us both. He took him for days, didn't bring him back. I wasn't letting him take him alone anywhere until we had a custody agreement because I was trying to protect my child because I didn't know if he took him again, would it be even longer? Like, would I ever see him again? You know, because he had rights as his father. So just because I was protecting my baby, he just starts throwing all the stuff at me, like your your misbehavior, you you're controlling, like this ends now. And you know he hung up on me, and then he started, you know, he called me like two times after he hung up. I just didn't answer because I I was just I was over it, you know. Uh, and then the second one, you know, my son tells me that he's met my ex's girlfriend several times and I asked my ex about it again I'll, you know can't say this enough I'm calm I'm not attacking him I'm just saying you know hey if this is what's happening you know it's just really confusing and unhealthy for him you know he's still adjusting to the split I'm worried about the mental emotional consequences for him you know and then he's dr- he drops the stink bomb of you know such and such is your boyfriend you've had him over you've been making out with him in front of our son and cuddling him on the couch and I just I mean I was like flabbergasted (laughs) I it was the furthest thing from the truth this person is a mutual friend but us being in a relationship is like the most preposterous thing and to accuse me of doing these things in front of our child with this person. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. And, I mean, really. <laughs> instead, again, instead of taking responsibility, he doesn't even have to say, oh, I, I, you know, oh, I'm a bad person. I shouldn't have made this. Just say, hey, you know what? You have a good point. I will scale this back and give our son more time, you know, and I'm sorry. That's really all he has to say, but instead it's, let's drop the stink bomb. Let's drop the bomb of false accusations, you know. You misbehaved. You're controlling. Oh, now you're having some, you know, intense love affair in front (laughs) of our child. And then uh, another instance, too, was when he left me for another woman, and I know a lot of people out there listening can relate to this. I mean, you, you're in a different space in your head. You are so depressed, so desperate, so helpless, and you just, you don't know what to do. Like, your whole world is spinning out of control, and, you know, you're with this person who's, discarded you and treating you like crap and you're just trying to reconcile everything so I'm you know I am I I hit rock bottom and I sent a message to his mistress (laughs) to the other woman and I was not threatening I didn't even cuss her out I just said she should be ashamed of herself and that she was disgusting and that she was a homewrecker that's all I said right I didn't say anything else I think, uh, seriously, as far as, like, scorned women go, I think I was actually probably too polite (laughs) and civil. But his response, he starts saying, I'm unstable. 
that he didn't know if our son was like safe to be around me and that I sent her a disturbing message and you know he kept our son at his house for or his parents house for hours and like wouldn't bring him back until he knew I wasn't going to be a danger and hurt our child I mean that to me was the worst stink bomb he's ever dropped like to imply that I would be a physical or emotional danger to my own flesh and blood to my son who is my entire universe because he's cheating and I just said a couple things to this woman that weren't even bad like I think People have done much worse, and I could have said much worse, and I didn't. But again, it's just like taking the blame off of themselves. I become the crazy, unstable, dangerous person, you know? Instead of him acknowledging, like, I'm really sorry, and I know you're in a lot of pain, and, you know, it just, to me, that that was one of the most hurtful things he's ever said to me that you know is our son gonna be safe if I bring him back to you because <laughs> I, I wrote a short uh quote disturbing message to this woman so yeah you gotta love stink bombs right and there have also been instances where he's called me a narcissist after I had called him one you know uh, in the beginning I, d- I don't engage with him anymore and say these things like he has he's called me a narcissist uh when I've accused him of abuse whether that was like you know legally or in person he's he just says you know you're the abusive one you're the controlling one you're the narcissist so they love dropping the stink bomb (laughs) they'll do anything to distract you know from feeling any of that shame or guilt or self-loathing then he talks about what can you do he says when someone blame shifts like this there is an understandable temptation to explain yourself defend your name and prove your point but the problem is this is exactly what they want you to do and he puts that in bold letters they blame shift so you'll react they often accuse you of doing things that they themselves are doing because it's so infuriating that you just have to say something but again that's the point by sucking you into these arguments they are consuming your energy and watching you progressively self-destruct so they can use your reactions to prove their own point example wow look how bitter and angry you are the term jade which, side note, he mentions Jade in his book, Whole Again, and it has changed my life. It is what I follow now, every single time that I interact with my ex. So Jade stands for justify, argue, defend, explain. You do not Jade, ever. Do not Jade. Do not justify, do not argue, do not defend, do not explain. I cannot recommend this enough. It has worked wonders. Um, So he says, when it comes to cluster B disorders, don't do those things. You will feel compelled to, but don't. When you try to defend yourself against a false accusation, you legitimize it by even acknowledging it. The only way to respond to these tactics is to stand up and walk away. Odds are you are an overly reasonable person who is always trying to see things from everyone else's perspective. Can I get a shout out for my fellow uh, empaths here? (laughs) We do that. 
he says, you constantly worry that you're being unfair. Oh no, what if I actually am this terrible thing they're accusing me of? So true. Which makes you a prime target to people like this. Because unfortunately, in all your worry and self-doubt about being unfair, you fail to see actually unfair situations. I cannot emphasize this enough. Do not jade. It is so important. And it works. Like, if I don't respond to his texts, his... His... Uh, accusations, his criticizing, his belittling, he goes silent. It's done. It doesn't mean that he won't do it again the next day, but in that moment, in that day, it's over. And, you know, if it's in person, if I ignore him and walk away, it's done. And, you know, it's annoying, it's frustrating, it's challenging, like no other (laughs) thing that I've done it is so challenging because you know I'm still getting used to it and it takes a really long time to get used to and you know still working through it but because I used to feel like I'm just letting him abuse me and I'm not standing up for myself like normally with someone who's not a narcissist we we could stand up for ourselves we could defend ourselves we could explain ourselves we could argue and we could say, you're disrespecting me, this isn't true, this, this, and that happened, and not this, da-da-da. And you could have, like, a normal <laughs> human argument or discussion, but you can't with these people. It's just not possible, and it never will be, unfortunately, because they don't change. And I've had to re wire I mean I'm still working on it but rewiring my brain and kind of reshaping the narrative like reshaping the perspective of it so I try now to spin it in a positive way and see it as I'm not letting him walk all over me and I'm not letting him abuse me and I'm not not standing up for myself I'm actually standing up for myself by not engaging with his bullshit And I'm putting up a shield. So I try to see it as more of, instead of being on the offense, being on the defense. And that you're you're like a superhero putting up your shield and blocking their attacks. And then you're walking away. And you're stronger and you're better for it. And you survived, you know. I realized after I stopped jading that I felt less exhausted, less emotional, you know, I still feel those things, but they're less drastic because you waste so much energy and pain and sadness and anger on these people when you try and justify yourself or defend yourself, so if you just walk away, if you just ignore that text or that email, you don't pick up that phone call, you walk away the bigger, better person and you're, you are standing up for yourself because you're protecting yourself from their hate and from their crap. You are putting up a shield. You're putting up a, you know, a, you can see it as like a ball of protective light surrounding you. You know, it is a way to respect and honor yourself. And by not engaging as hard as it is, it is strengthening you, you know you are 
strengthening yourself by not wasting those precious resources. And, you know, and again, he hits the nail on the head. This guy is just so brilliant. But when he says that you're always trying to see things from other people's perspective and that you're worrying that you are being unfair, I can't even tell you how much the self-doubt comes in with me. Where I mean, I still do this. Like, maybe I am wrong. Maybe I am the narcissist. Maybe I did take on some of his abusive tactics. Maybe I am being a jerk maybe you know i worry so much about these things and i'm always trying to be in his shoes and i still empathize with him even after all the horrible heinous things he's done to me and it's true like you get so caught up in the semantics and of how you're treating people and how other people feel that you're not even focusing on how you're feeling or that you're in a really horrible situation so like most things with a narcissist you know walk away ignore them don't jade and just try more to focus on yourself and working on that self-love that self-care and building up your strength you know don't waste time on them. They're not worth it, and they never will be. Okay, so that wraps it up for episode six. Uh, please rate and subscribe so we can get this podcast out there so we can reach more warriors out there. Uh, again, if you want to be a uh, part of the show, if you want to be on an episode, please send me your letters, your poetry, your stories, your music, your art, anything you want to share with the survivor community. Uh, some positive things <laughs> to end the episode with, what I'm loving right now. I just finished Defending Jacob uh, on Apple TV. It was so, so good. I loved it. Um, I was kind of like watching it and I mentioned this like watching it with my mom she's you know she lives over an hour away but you you know we would text each other and watch it at the same time and I don't think she liked it as much as me but I loved it I love the focus on family dynamics and how far you would go for your family and um, communication and denial and things like that I think it was more focused on the family than the murder mystery itself but yeah, it was it was a really good show. I recommend it. It's, it's a short watch. It's just a one time. It's a what they call it a um, mini series. I think they call it. Um, but it's only eight episodes. Uh, it's a really good show. Definitely recommend that. Uh, I'm watching uh, season three of Harlots <laughs> on Hulu, which is you know kind of a dramedy, and it's you know uh, in the 1800s. And uh, I don't I don't know if anyone's into stuff like that. Um, I find it very amusing and just so much drama, but I, I like it. And uh, yeah, so definitely talked about some uh, some tough things in this episode. So I am probably going to go for a little walk, get some fresh air, and you know, just remember to take care of yourself, to love yourself. Um, don't jade. You know, it's very important. And just remember that you are worthy. You are so worthy of love. You are worth fighting for. You are an amazing, beautiful human being. 
Keep rising. Keep shining. You are more than enough. I love you guys so much. Have a good night.